You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Rico Mohammed coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. And tonight, we will be joined by our special guest, Mr. Transportation Attorney Extraordinary Henry Seaton will be joining us tonight to take on and answer all of your legal questions. So if you have any questions surrounding the transportation industry, whether it has to deal with contracts, uh, negotiations, detention, any of that good stuff, we'll take those questions head on tonight. You'll get a chance to ask the man himself. You can just go ahead and press the number one, and that will get you in line for the call screener to get you up and on board. But tonight, we're going to start off the show like we normally do. Actually, we're going to, uh, these past few weeks, we've been doing a kind of a new segment, and we've been kind of been letting everyone know about um, some different um things that you need to be aware of, aware of as far as the uh, when you're dealing with extending credit to some of these uh, brokers, carriers, and freight forwarders out here. I've been kind of trying to let you guys know about the uh, the bad behavior people, and we're going to start off the show tonight and give you all the ones that have joined this kind of wall of shame list uh, for this month, as a matter of fact. Uh, and we're going to start out with all freight logistics. That's um, MC number. Get your pen and pads ready. MC number four five eight two two zero. They have over six thousand dollars in non-payment complaints reported. The next one is Jade Freight Services. MC number five two seven six seven three. They have over fifty thousand dollars in non-complaint reports. Uh, FMCSA shows that their trust fund has been canceled. They are showing an extreme risk to haul for. Tenant Truck Lines, Inc., MC number 146754, over $82,000 in non-payment complaints. Integrated Wind Energy Services, LLC, MC number 670960, surety bond scheduled for cancellation on 5116, nearly $6,000 in non-payment complaints. GRS Brokerage LLC and GRS Logistics Inc. MC number seven six one nine six two over thirteen thousand dollars in non-payment complaints reported. Nationwide Truck Lines LLC MC number nine four five seven six four. FMCSA shows trust fund canceled. Over sixteen thousand dollars in non-payment complaints have been reported. Freight Connection. MC number 324188, over $7,000 in non-payment complaints reported. The next one on the list, and this list, I'll tell you, the list seems to grow more and more. Security Logistics, Inc., MC number 917072, trust fund canceled, over $11,000 in non-payment complaints reported. Trans Freight United, LLC, MC number 761962, Trust fund set to cancel on five four sixteen, over thirty one thousand dollars in non payment complaints reported. Extreme risk. Value line transportation Inc. 
and Value Line Transport, MC number 798-483. Over $17,000 in non-payment complaints reported. Surety bond is canceled. This broker also has ownership in two other brokerages as follows. Value Line Logistics, that MC number is 941-067. And Value Line Freight Services, MC number 887-696. And the last one to make the list this week is our Specialty Transport Services, LLC, 642-821 is their MC number. Trust fund is canceled. Over $84,000 in non-payment complaints reported. Extreme risk hauling anything for our Specialty Transport Services, LLC. That kind of wraps up this report, and this may even lead into a, uh, since we've got Hank joining us tonight, this may even lead into a, a little bit more of a discussion on how to even handle and deal with certain situations when it comes to this. If you don't know how to uh, go after or to file on a broker's bond or what kind of recourses that you may have, maybe a good topic if anyone wants to, uh, you know, if you really want to get follow that line of questioning. Um. And let's see, we're going to jump over from that over into the truck fruit and vegetable truck rate report from the USDA. We have all markets except for three showing adequate supplies of trucks, so that means just about every market is uh, kind of at a one-to-one ratio when it comes to loads to trucks. There are surpluses in these following markets, so these are the markets that you might want to make sure that you try to get a little bit extra going into those areas because it's going to be uh, really tough sledding trying to get out of there once you get there. San Luis Valley, Colorado is showing a surplus of trucks, which is an indicator that there are way more trucks than there are loads. Florida, um, Down in Florida right now, we're showing that there are way more trucks than there are loads, a surplus. And in Minnesota, North Dakota, Red River Valley is showing a surplus of trucks in that area as well. We will be putting a link of this report up on the Rachel Lane's Facebook page for your convenience. That way you can have a chance to go over there and check the report out for yourself. Lots of good detailed information here. Just be careful about taking the rate information off of this report, as I've stated before, the rate information off this report is very misleading, so you have to be very careful about taking the rate information from here. But the um, the information as far as what type of products are moving in those areas and stuff like that is very good information, some things that you can try to implement into your planning strategies for the coming weeks. And jumping over into this week's trend lines report for April 10th through the 16th, 16th, rates declined for vans, reefers, and flatbeds last week. Demand increased in major markets. They signal that rates may soon rebound. And we're going to jump over and check out the U.S. van demand and capacity report for the previous week. Van load postings fell 6% last week and truck postings increased 5%. That resulted in a 10% decline in the load-to-truck ratio from 1.6 down to 1.4 loads per truck. The national average van rate dropped $0.03 compared to the previous week. And looking at the report from this time in March of uh, last month, 
Van load postings increased 29% in March compared to February. Truck postings increased 9%, which boosted the load-to-truck ratio 18% from 1.4 up to 1.6 loads per truck compared to March of 2015. The ratio was down by 53%. Let's take a look and see how the van rates were performing for the week of April 10th through the 16th. The national average rate for vans fell three cents down to a dollar fifty cents per mile on average last week. Outbound rates increased in the west but failed in the northeast. Um, the national average fuel price was two dollars and sixteen cents per gallon. That is a three cents jump from the previous week. And taking a look around the country, we'll start out up in the northeastern portion of the United States. We have Philadelphia, Pennsylvania checking in as the representative city out of that area, showing an average rate of $1.56 per mile for drive-in. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, we have Atlanta, Georgia checking in, showing an average rate of $1.67 per mile for drive-in. Moving up into the midwestern portion of the United States, we have Chicago, Illinois checking in, showing an average rate at $1.75 per mile. Moving down to the south-central portion of the United States, Dallas, Texas checks in, showing an average rate of $1.46 per mile. Moving out west, Los Angeles checks in, showing an average rate and setting the high water mark for drive-ins at $1.84 per mile on average coming out of the west coast. Moving right along, jumping over into the U.S. flatbed demand and capacity report, flatbed load volumes dipped 9% and capacity added 6% last week. That led to a 14% decline in the load-to-truck ratio from 23.5 down to 20.2 loads per truck. The national average flatbed rate decreased $0.01 per mile last week. Looking at this <clears throat> a report from this time last month, flatbed load postings rose 66% in March compared to the previous month. Capacity dropped 1%. As a result, the load-to-truck ratio for the month rose 68% from 10.4 to 17.5 loads per truck compared to March of 2015. The ratio was up by 7%. Jumping over and checking on the flatbed rates, Flatbed spot market rate slipped one cent last week to a national average of a dollar ninety one cents per mile. The load to truck ratio declined fourteen percent down to twenty point two loads per truck. <clears throat> We're going to take a look across the country up in the northeastern portion of the United States. Setting the high water mark, Harrisburg checks in showing an average rate for flatbeds at $2.79 per mile up in the northeastern corridor. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, we have Atlanta, Georgia checking in, showing an average rate of $2.22 per mile for flatbeds. Jumping up into the Midwest, Rock Island, Illinois checks in, showing an average rate of $2.44 per mile for flatbeds. Moving down into the south-central portion of the United States, Checking coming out of Houston, showing rates at $1.91 per mile for flatbeds. Jumping over to the West Coast, setting the low water mark on this portion of the report. Coming out of Phoenix, Arizona, 
flatbed showing an average rate of $1.68 per mile. And moving over to the reefer demand and capacity report for the week of April 10th through the 16th. Reefer load postings fell 1%, while truck postings increased 4% last week. As a result, the load-to-truck ratio declined 3% to 2.6 loads per truck. The national average reefer rate was down $0.02 cents to $1.78 per mile. Looking back over this time last month, reefer load postings increased 19% in March compared to the previous month, and the truck postings rose 12%. As a result, the load-to-truck ratio rose 6% from 3 up to 3.1 loads per truck. Compared to the demand of March of 2015, the ratio was down by 65%. And let's jump and check and see how reefer rates were performing over the previous week. Reefer rates fell two cents to a national average of $1.78 per mile. The national average load-to-truck ratio edged down for refrigerated trucks down to 2.9%. Checking the actual rates in different portions of the United States. In the northeastern portion, we have Elizabeth, New Jersey, checking in, showing an average rate for reefers at $1.52 per mile. Down in the southeastern portion of the United States, coming out of Lakeland, Florida, we have average rates reported of $1.33 per mile. Moving up into the Midwest, which seems to always be the norm, coming out of Green Bay, Wisconsin, Average rates showing $2.21 per mile. Down in the south, southern, um, south central portion of the United States, coming out of the Rio Grande, McAllen, Texas, showing average rate of $1.81 per mile. And coming out of the left coast, Fresno, California, shows average rates of $1.88 per mile. And that will wrap us up for the DAT trend lines report for this week. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, let's see if we can grab our special guest. And like I said, if you got any questions before we actually get into any particular topics, now is your time to go ahead and press the number one button to get in and ask your questions of transportation attorney Henry Seaton. So if you got any questions, you're dealing with anything as far as contract negotiations, anything with contracts, um, anything dealing with Anything that you may be going through, if you got a legal matter in your business, now will be a time to actually get a hold of Hank and get your questions answered from a truly, truly uh, one of the true professionals in this industry, Mr. Hank Seaton. Hank, are you up and on board yes. with us? Are you there for tonight? I am here. Can you hear me? We can come in loud and clear, coming in loud and okay, clear. Okay, great. Uh, Good, good deal, Hank. Well, maybe uh, we'll start out tonight by uh, letting you maybe catch us up on some some happenings and goings on and what's been going on up on Capitol Hill and some things that we may need to be made aware of that may be going under the radar right now. Sure, I'll be happy to do that. Let me also say as an introduction that uh, I really appreciate you giving out that list of uh, challenged brokers. Uh, if uh, You'll circle back with me after this. I've got a way to maybe uh, uh, publicize that, and the issue of collection is something that's uh, near and dear to my heart, too. So if there's anyone that has a uh, collection question tonight, I'll be happy to try to field that. Now, to talk a little bit about what's going on in Washington, the big sleeper, 
the thing that you're not going to read about in transport topics and hear very little about is that the agency has finally come out with its ultimate safety fitness determination rule, which is really kind of a slap in the face to Congress. Congress is fast acts, among other things, that safe to operate is safe to use, <clears throat> took down CSA SMS scores for at least 28 months, told the agency they had to come up with a corrective action plan before they could repost it, and told them not to go to a safety fitness determination rulemaking until they'd done all that. Within a month, the agency had published over 1,500 pages in a safety fitness determination and told the agent and told the public that you got two months to respond to this. Uh, Congress is mad as a wet hen at the agency, uh, has hauled them down there to answer some questions. 33 congressmen have uh, asked that the agency be defunded over it, but whether that's all just a lot of smoke and not a lot of fire remains to be seen. Uh, a lot of us who uh, are not fans of the agency's bureaucratic overreach are looking very closely at this rulemaking, and as you can imagine, it's really very tedious. Uh, but I can tell you just in broad brushes that they try to seek uh, to reinstitute publication of SMS scores by calling them raw scores. They seek to uh, vindicate the uh, notion that they could put a carry out of business based on roadside inspections only. And with respect to the audits that we've traditionally had, which are called compliance reviews, in which the attitude of the auditor is supposed to be one who comes in without a particular hidden agenda to look at your books and records. Now it's going to be called an investigation. And if the agency can find that you have uh, violated one acute violation or one critical violation in two of their basics, guess what? You get a finding of unfit and in two weeks you're out of business. So, uh, there's much not to like in this rule, uh, and uh, having said that, uh, I particular concern to uh, those on the line who maybe have their own authority and be small carriers or work for small carriers, because clearly the system is rigged so that the agency will be able to uh, actually conduct investigations on more small carriers, realizing that they really make up about 90% of the carriers the agencies required to regulate. So that's the happy news uh, uh, on the, the biggest rulemaking that's in the pipeline. Of course, uh, with the wind down to the uh, Obama administration, there are six or seven other uh, rulemakings playing themselves out, including uh, ELDs and uh, uh, driver training rules and uh, just a, a plethora of other of other topics. Uh, I can I can give everybody a a, a website if they're interested in uh, running through a tick list of other issues with a, a short explanation of where it is. But that's probably enough talking uh, on my part, uh, Rico. If there are questions concerning that or anything else, I'll be happy to answer. Well, we got someone with their hand raised, and we'll go directly to them. Let's go and check and see what Jeff has for us tonight. Jeff, you're up live and on board with Hank and Rico. How can we help? 
Hey, fantastic. Good to hear from you guys. I, uh, I'm a small carrier uh, running under, of course, my own authority and uh, been, doing, uh, been doing that for a year and a half. Uh, too small to really have, uh, you know, any of my, of my own customers yet. So I've been mainly working the spot market, working the board, and uh, got, a, got a great load paying uh, with two drops. Uh, out of Jersey to Denver with a stop in Cincinnati. It was real hot, paid real good. Um, but actually, the reality is it doesn't. It's not going to pay at all. It's one of the brokers that was listed off of uh, you guys this morning. Wow! I got a, you know, and it was one of that was how I learned from my TAFs agent. We use uh, TAFs for factoring, um, and. You know, it was a good load. We were busy focusing on, you know, the work that needed to be done to get it done. And I, you know, I didn't check for credit. Uh, and it wasn't until after I submitted the invoice that I found out that they wouldn't, you know, buy the receivable because of the history of the broker and that kind of thing. So uh, as a guy who I use for uh, dispatching uh, likes to say that every form of education is expensive. <laughs> and and uh, but I was called. We we went ahead and Googled. We started to hit the 60-day number as far as um, when it was when the payment was due, and we were promised that the check was on the way, and you know it was it was going, and uh, we realized that that was uh, not true. And uh, we had Googled, and we found I guess uh, there's an attorney or a, a law firm maybe that is was kind of hip to whoever's behind this brokerage and does this opens and closes them, never really having any intention to pay. And uh, I think I've heard that mentioned on this show, and I think we were about 45 days when I'd heard that mentioned. And I said, oh, I hope we're not in that situation, but that's exactly the situation we're in. Um, but I have no idea what the, what the actual process is. You know, in my mind, I've just kind of considered that money gone. Um, if we ever get any of it, I would be kind of uh, amazed. Uh, but just, you know, calling with a general, uh, you know, question, you know, what's the outline, you know, how does that generally work? You know, that was really okay. the nature of my call. Let me, uh, let, let me give you a tick list of, uh, of things to do uh, in that situation. Number one, if you take a load and your factor won't buy it, you've got to lean on that load for payment of the freight charges. Don't deliver the load until you get the broker to advance you the money. Number two, if you've delivered the shipment and you find out that there's uh, something wrong with the uh, uh, the broker, you need to give him 10 days' notice to pay you, and then you need to send your invoice to the shipper and the consignee. In order to have preserve the right to do that, you need to be sure that every load you pick up has your name as the carrier on the bill of lading. If your name is on the bill of lading as the carrier, you have recourse to the consignor. or if you've got reason to think you're not being paid, you need to invoice the consignor. You won't have a food fight with the consignor if you get to him early enough so he's still got some of the broker's money in his jeans uh, if you wait, you're going to have a real pissing contest with the consignor who's not going to want to pay twice. We can and will make the, the broker uh, or the, uh, the consignor pay twice, but it's uh, uh, not really economically reasonable to chase a, a, a one shot. 
Uh, for I've been doing this for 25 years. Uh, I've got some cases in which uh, I'm in one right now in which a crooked broker was in the middle. Uh, he was scamming the, the shipper. The shipper should have known about it. We sued the shipper for $287,000, and we're the third carrier to find out about it. The other two were taken. Uh, one was taken for 1.5 million, and the other was taken for half a million. So this kind of stuff goes on all the time. Uh, small carriers are are uh, are preyed by. There is recourse. I've often said that bad debts are not like good wine. They don't get better with age. I am not one who believes in uh, uh, in, in jumping out there and doing things frivolously. But if you've got reason to think you're not being paid, you need to preserve recourse to the consignor. And uh, if you uh, if you think that payment is in jeopardy, don't deliver the load until you insist you get paid. Now, you know, they say possession is nine-tenths of the law, and, and yes, indeed it is. But uh, you can't uh, – uh, your chances of getting that uh, payment have diminished over time. If you're now 60 days downstream – you, you're probably going to have some difficulty with recourse. Now, on the bond claim, this guy should have a bond. And the bond claimant, you, you need to file on time, and you need to press to be paid. Uh, you know, if the guy is a big-time crook and they want to prorate $75,000 over a quarter of a million bucks, you're not going to get something, but you're going to get uh, uh, you're going to get something, but you're not going to get much. So sure. you know, we we down here in the South have a uh, a uh, Southern general who's uh, in great disrepute now. But he used to say, "Get there firstest with the mostest." And when you're talking about collection, that is really the issue. Is okay. being sad. So I hope I've given you some. I hope I've given you some pointers on that. Uh, I've actually, if you go to uh, my website, which is transportationlaw.net, you will see that we have uh, 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 PowerPoint presentations. You may even have an audio on collecting freight charges that will go in a little greater detail what we talked about. Okay. Now, you said to file on time on the bond claim because, you know, we were given, you know, what in hindsight was a, was an empty promise that, uh, you know, the check was going to go out at the 60-day because that's how the contract read. So, the contract, you know, read six, the contract read 60-day pay? That is what I was told by the broker when we asked to we asked if there was a quick pay option because we're a small carrier. We can't really float. That's well, the reason we use the factory company. I understand that. I mean, you, you had to sign a, a broker-carrier agreement with this broker. And my question yeah. to you is you can sign away a lot of your rights if you don't look at that contract. Number one, uh, a 60-day pay is an abnormal period of time for a broker to ordinarily pay. Now, some people offer quick pay, but 30 days is the standard. Uh, you're uh, you're uh, a small guy; can't wait 60. Right. Well, that should have been what you're saying. That should have been a red flag. Probably into your factor. If you turn over the factor on day one, he's probably about ready to give it back to you in 60 days. Got it. Right. Right. And, you know, the other thing that you might want to look into is uh, obviously, you know, factors charge 
uh, a good bit of money to advance money to you. But one service they do provide is they're more savvy in terms of who to extend credit to than you are. Uh, you know, uh, if if they say a guy's a bad apple, then, uh, you know, you need to turn down the load. One of the things that I'd like to do, uh, talk to you about, Rico, I don't know where you got the source of this list, but I can get uh, these deadbeat lists uh, uh, posted uh, uh, on on websites and added to uh, to uh, help uh, help guide people who want to participate and find out uh, you know what credit is involved. Remember this: unless you give up your recourse in a bill in your contract by saying under no circumstances. Will you go to the shipper or broker? You have the legal right to collect freight charges because of the bill of lading from any party legally liable for it. So you need to instruct your truck drivers to be looking at the bills of lading when they pick up to ensure that their name is on it as the carrier. And if they think they're picking it up from all freight as the broker and J.B. Hunt's name's on the bill, then you probably know that somebody is double brokering this thing. Okay. Okay, got it. You had mentioned something about um, uh, the bond claim and filing, just filing it on time since uh, we've waited the 60 days, um, you know, just out of our own not knowing. Uh, what would you consider, what's considered well, here's, filing here's, on here's, time? Yeah, here, here's the situation. Uh, the FMCSA is required to come down with regulations specifying how a bondsman gets rid of uh, 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 of his 75 grand. Ultimately, a bondsman is supposed to give public notice, uh, is supposed to uh, uh, close out the bond and then pay on a pro rata basis. Unfortunately, the agency hasn't come down with that decision, and bonding companies handled it in two or three different ways. Some will give the notice to the FMCSA uh, and wait 30 days thereafter before they split out the money because, you know, the money uh, is uh, is theirs to keep until they're forced to pay it up. If that's it, your 60-day claim may still be in place or you still may have time. What you got to do is you got to get the name of the uh, uh, bonding company or bank trust off of the FMCSA website. You've got to send them a formal uh, letter making a claim. You should attack your invoices and bills of lading. You should insist that the load is due, owing, and past, uh, and past due. And you should insist upon an immediate response because a lot of these people would just simply drag the response. And you've got to follow up on it. If they send you a letter back, that says we're sorry we paid out the full seventy five thousand. Then you know you say I need to see the list of who you paid and on what time you did. They can argue that your your case is not fine, uh, is not timely, but uh, I, I wouldn't assume that it is. Unfortunately, there are a lot of small carriers like you who 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 who, who see that. Uh, uh, the guy owes a bunch of money. They see he's a runner and a big-time player, and they just don't know how to file the bond, and they figure, oh, what, oh, what the heck. I know in one of the recent claims, uh, I had a guy who had uh, six figures uh, that he was due, and I thought, well, gee, I'll just file on this bond, 
I know there were millions of dollars that owed to him, and actually I got over half the bond stake simply because the other guys just thought the losses were too big to be blown off. So, I mean, you know, it's certainly worth it's certainly worth pursuing. If you need help, if you need help on that, uh, you know, I think I think Rico's got my contact information. I'll be happy to help you file the bond and give you some advice on it. All right. Well, appreciate so we, you guys. Always enjoy listening to you. Sure, Thank you, you're Jeff. welcome. Appreciate you helping. And I'm sorry to hear that you had to go through that, Jeff, uh, but that's one of the reasons why we wanted to try to add that to part of our uh, podcast is, is bringing that information to light as far as, you know, these guys that are out there doing these types of things and just trying to keep it at the forefront of we got new people coming in all the time. And if we can save somebody, great. But uh, and, and I, I hate that Jeff went through that, but at least it does show and shed some light that, you know, this just not a big boogeyman thing that, well, it didn't happen to me or that could never happen to me. That's living proof that shows that, you know, this is a reality and this is something that we need to be cognizant of in our businesses. Yeah, a small man, and, uh, but, you know, you're paying a factor fee and all of that, but you can't afford to take very many of these uh, freight charge hits. So, you know, you, you, you really need to be uh, to be savvy and to get there first is with the most uh, you know, I, I, I can I can teach you how to read a bill of lading to kind of spot when things don't smell right. Uh, you know, I, I can uh, uh, help educate you in terms of what to look for in terms of uh, uh, when they want you to surrender recourse, they want you to have 60 days uh, to pay, and they don't want to pay you interest and attorney's fees. All of those things are stacked against you, and uh, you've got a real reason to... Uh, to be concerned. And Jeff had made mention about one of his, uh, I think he said the guy that does his dispatch and say all education is expensive. Well, I can tell you one thing, Jeff, if you haven't had an opportunity, and this is unsolicited from Hank, but Hank has an excellent book out there that, I, that I've kind of like just really been uh, yelling this thing off the mountaintops of anybody that has their own authority or even thinking about getting their own authority. They need to have that in their repertoire in their library, and, and that book is Protecting Motor Carriers' Interest in Contracts, written by our very own Mr. Hank Seaton. Um, excellent book. It kind of goes down the list of some uh, very detailed things that you need to be on the lookout for in all of your contracts. Uh, not to say that you, you know, in a real world, not to say that you're going to absolutely positively get all of those concerns necessarily mitigate it, but it's something that you need to be aware of. And if you, you know, it, it helps to be aware of certain things that, that uh, come to your attention that you need to stay clear of, absolutely stay clear of. And that 60-day thing might have been one of those telltale signs that kind of make your antenna go up to say, ooh, I, I might want to steer clear on this one. Um, but definitely uh, yeah. you, can, you can pick that you know, book you know, up. I, I, in, that, in that regard, ahead, we, were prom- we were promised uh, – uh, 30 years ago with deregulation that we're going to have fair and open competition in a free marketplace. And I think a lot of people got into it with the same idea that we had 30 years ago in which most people there were in trucking were basically honest, hardworking folks. And, you know, with the Internet and people doing business with folks they don't know, it's kind of become like that chill catfish. You know, <laughs> you just don't really know <laughs> who it is that, who it is that's on the who it is that's on the other end of the line, 
And, uh, you know, the Internet is full of, of charlatan and larceny by fraud seems to be a white-collar crime that everybody can get away with. So, you know, it really is caveat emptor. Let the buyer beware. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it looks like we got another caller here. We have Jay in Dallas, Georgia. Let's see if we can grab Jay and get up and get him up and on board with us. Jay, you're on live. Evening, Rico and Hank. How can we help? Evening, Rico and Hank. How y'all doing this evening? Doing well. Good, good. Rico, at the top of the program, you were reading off the rates, the average rates in various segments of the, of the country for reapers and what have you. And it would seem to me, based on what Hank has been talking about so far, that a lot of those rates are kind of skewed higher by these unscrupulous brokers who typically pay you the nice, fat rates that are very attractive. Now, I'm going into my third year of authority, and I've been dealing with the big guys like GQL, Coyote, and people like that, and I don't ever see rates anywhere near as high as what you're talking about for uh, reapers. Can you give me some guidance on how to handle that? Certainly. Right now, right now, uh, Jay, one of the problems that you're going to have, especially in the spot market, is it's a it's it's a demand. It's, you're kind of dealing with the creature of supply and demand. And if you're in an area where the supply of uh, trucks is greater than the demand for those trucks, then you know you're kind of going to have to. That's where the market is going to take a swing, which is where you're going to see yeah. lower rates than what we're than what we're actually reporting. But now dealing with the bigger guys, some of those guys you have to also keep in mind. Uh, some of those, the bigger guys, the CHs and, and the TQLs and all those guys, they kind of have a set commission rate. Now, that's not to say that the rates are not there, but they are they they are dealing off of a set rate that they want a, a, a set profit margin that they want to make off of each load. And uh, depending upon, and, and the only way that you're going to be able to chip into those mark in, into that um, that that market share that they're trying to hold for themselves in some cases. Is, is a couple of things. You're going to have to have, you know, develop the relationships with one particular broker at that company that, you know, once you develop that relationship or that bond with that person, then they may be more apt to negotiate with you a little bit more even-handedly. The second, the second thing is that you're going to have to uh, make sure that you are doing actual good market analysis and research on the area that you're in. Um, if, you, if, you're, if you're in an area where you're going to be dealing on the spot market where you got a little bit of an advantage. You're gonna to have to hold out for that for that uh, every penny that you're gonna be able to get. Now, right now, it's an uber competitive market on the spot market, which is why we've been telling everyone and, and kind of been been you know uh, imploring everyone to try their best to go out and start doing their own marketing to get their own customers uh, because it is just brutal. It is really brutal out here on the spot market dealing with these guys um, just off of the load boards. Um, you know, it's, it's getting harder and harder, tighter and tighter. As a matter of fact, you're not the only one that's going through it. I'm looking at a report right now. It says Knight, Warner, Landstar, all report low, lower first quarter earnings. Uh, you know, so these are some of the major carriers that are, that are you know, in a weaker uh, freight market right now. It's just really tight and really tough. So, you know, it's it's getting tight on every end, but like I say, dealing with yeah. the, dealing with the broker and everything, it's just one of those things where you got to kind of brush up and get your negotiating skills. Uh, and, you know, and Kevin Kevin uh, Kevin Rutherford mentions this all the time. You know, a broker when he all he's doing is he's on the phone negotiating day in and day out. He's negotiating with shippers and he's negotiating with carriers. 
but they're pretty good at negotiating. Nine times out of ten, us as carriers, that's not necessarily our forte. We're a little bit uncomfortable with haggling and going back and forth and dealing with the yeah. negotiation. But we have to. But one of the things that we have to kind of try to do is is develop our negotiating skills and our negotiating tactics. If, if that means you know listening to audio books that involve negotiating try to pick up different tactics, you know, maybe ask some other guys, hey, what, what type of strategies are you using to find a little bit to a little bit of success in some of the things that you're doing? Now, you know, of course you want to take, you know, free advice is exactly what is uh, worth exactly what you pay for. You know, it's free, so you got to take that with a grain of salt as well. But, you know, there are some people out here that are willing, that are successful, that are willing to share some advice and give you some pointers and some tips that you may be able to incorporate into what it is that you're trying to do. Uh, and, and, Hank, you got something that maybe you want to add to that portion as far as negotiating is concerned? Yeah, you know, I mean, unfortunately, has always been in the free market a question of supply and demand. And if you'd ask me this time last year, all of the great poobahs were saying that we were in a driver shortage and that happy days were going to be here again and that your lane report was going to show that things were really out of balance and that the broker boys were going to have to pay a little more money to get the freight moved so that uh, the fact that you had a truck in the area uh, and could, could wait out the, uh, the right move was going to give us more negotiating leverage. Unfortunately, what I'm seeing now is everybody saying, for whatever reason, uh, the economy hadn't perked up, uh, the freight isn't there, uh, we've got Amazon and these people who are changing their distribution patterns away from truckload freight, and uh, it's kind of hard to negotiate with somebody who, who doesn't value you, and he's got five other people calling him in the same location that wants to go to the same area. So, uh, you know, I don't have... I don't have an answer for how you negotiate effectively in the spot market, particularly when your first job is to decide whether or not you're going to go to the big boys who are going to uh, uh, whip you up about making an on-time delivery and penalize you if they think there's a claim versus identifying the small but honest smaller broker who's uh, who's uh, uh, working on a different percentage and wanting to give you a bit more. I think that, uh, you know, some of these large uh, brokers are backing the money for a series of agents. So, you know, they, they've got to cut that percentage uh, multiple times. And, uh, you know, uh, I think some of them laugh at a 20%, at a 15 to 20% commission when they think they can beat more out of the carriers. So, you know, I think there's a lot of... Uh, piggishness among some of the some of the big leaders and I, I can understand the caller's uh, uh, problem of how do you hit that sweet spot uh, for the guy who's got 20,000 carriers calling it uh, and the small guy who's honest and going to pay you and, and you know I think it's really tough in the spot market to do it. Uh, we've had people talk before about uh, the importance of trying to be lane directed in terms of your service so that you can uh, be be that repeat dependable customer uh, getting getting home with dependable dependable freight and develop uh, some experience some expertise 
and handling that may endure to, uh, you know, you you being a preferred uh, backhauler for people. Uh, I think just calling on the spot market and saying, look, I'm Tommy Two Truck and I need to get home from Omaha doesn't get you very far. Right, right. And I'm going to go to uh, jump around here and let's see here. Maybe we got our good friend from Canada, Mr. Chuck Snow, joining us tonight as a matter of fact. Hey, Chuck, are you there? Hey, Rico, how are you? I'm good, Chuck, and yourself? Really good. I'm really enjoying this show. I got to tell you. Sometimes it's much better to sit on the sidelines and and listen instead of talk. Uh, Hank, I'm really enjoying what you're saying, and Rico, as always, I, I love listening to you. Um, you're, you're both making a ton of sense tonight. One thing I want to bring up here, um, you had brought up the point about the uh, small trucking companies going directly to shippers, uh, which we banter back and forth about all the time. But I can tell you that one of the issues that you have as a small trucking company trying to get into produce, the produce buyers and the produce shippers do not want to deal with a guy with one truck. It's too much work. Um, and if you if you want to make more money hauling produce, you probably want to uh, tie up with a produce company maybe. Um, quite often on the produce brokerage end, I can tell you from experience, there's not a whole lot. Quite often, we're working on 8%. That's about it. And on top of that, what happens is on produce, we get a bunch of loads, and then the price goes up, and we lose money. And I think all of the players in produce go through the same thing. You commit to 30 loads, let's say, and you make money on 10 or 15 or even 20, and the last 10, everything you made on the previous loads, you lose. And that happens more often than not. So, again, produce is the, that is the starting point of the, um, of the spot market. Unless by chance you can make arrangements with a company that has steady supply and you give them a year-round price. But most produce is seasonal and they have a season. But there are, there are some big players out there that will that you know when they finish with one uh, commodity in in produce, they take another out of the same region, and they will work with a year-round price. Uh, it's pretty rare, but there, it does happen. The vast majority of produce buyers have found that the spot market works best for them, and that has a direct effect on everybody out there that's listening that has trucks. Now, oddly enough. There seems to be a bit of a uh, renaissance with some of the big players opening up produce hauling divisions, and I think this has more to do with them servicing clients um, at a different level, probably on a year-round rate where they can say to a large uh, grocery chain, we can give you X number of trucks. But, again, this also ties into the fact that they either have teams or they're going to start running um, almost like the relay system that we saw when you know when I first got into it, where a, a carrier took a load so far and then another uh, truck would take it uh, the next leg, and we may have to do that as you and I have discussed on the on the show before. But you know, I, I right. think, uh, yeah, you know, I really appreciate your comments because 
Uh, I've dabbled in, with with produce halls for years, and it is far more of an art form than it is a business. It's traditionally been a situation in which the truck broker accepted the liability for the uh, the timely delivery of the goods. Uh, the truck broker worked on on shorter margins. It just uh, it developed in a in a, in a deregulated environment. Uh, the vast majority of the produce is handled by very small carriers, uh, you know, with the exception of, uh, of of England and a few other uh, large uh, produce haulers. I think that's still uh, pretty much the form. Uh, it's been very difficult as a lawyer to represent uh, a, a motor carrier involved in produce. Uh, even now... Uh, we're trying to work with some responsible carriers and brokers and and shippers to come up with a way to arbitrate uh, produce claims rather than just have the constantly close the doors and say, uh, you bought the load, sucker. Uh, it, it's, uh, uh, you know, it, it, takes, it takes a tough man to work in produce. Uh, I do think you're right, particularly when you say that I'm seeing some larger players get in it. There is a there is a demand, particularly from the grocery houses, who are taking over the transportation and the inbound, to uh, try to have uh, some consistency and predictability. One thing that's involved in that in that whole mess that may be a game changer, at least we've been talking about it for years, is the new uh, Food Safety Modernization Act and all the flipping rules that came down last month, uh, having to do with uh, um, scotching up the supply chain, and uh, you know, I think that'll be hit hit heavily on the front end. There, there's some broker requirements that are coming downstream. Small carriers have some exemptions, but uh, I think you're going to see a uh, more regulation in produce than we've had before, particularly by the FDA, and that's going to be something that those of you guys who are in the produce industry are going to have to be on top of as well. Yeah. We actually got somebody yeah, online right now with a question about the FDA rules. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to sign off, Rico and Hank. I really enjoyed uh, talking to you both, and I'll leave some room for some other people to call in. Uh, keep up the great work, both of you. Thank I you. appreciate Paul. it, Chuck. Thank you, and uh look forward to speaking with you next week. All right, let's see here. Let's go to the question about the FDA rule. Let's see if we can grab Bruce and get him up and on board with us. Bruce, you're up on live with Rico and uh, Hank Seaton. Go ahead with your question. Well, Rico, once again, you guys are knocking one out of the park. I mean, you guys hitting on things that are pertinent to the industry. And I like, like Chuck and Hank were talking earlier, I guess I'd ask Hank to expound a little bit more on what the impact of the new FDA food safety transportation rules are going to mean to motor carriers, both large and small? Well, you know, some of our some of our worst concerns going into it, and I was working with the Agriculture Transportation uh, uh, Committee and uh, have tried to, to follow it, and us lawyers came out with all of these uh, notions of, of uh, doom and gloom. Uh, they're setting some, as I understand it, they're setting some pretty close 
requirements in terms of uh, temperature certifications that have to be made. Uh, apparently, they're leaving a lot of that up to the contract between the shipper and the carrier. So you can expect that uh, uh, the, and the and the truck brokers are involved in it too. I think it'll hit first on the uh, on the shipper side, and you'll start seeing uh, the bill of lading having additional uh, requirements. Uh, there, there's certainly some going to be some concern about certifications for uh, the, the trailer, its cleanliness, the fact that it's pre-cooled. Uh, the chain of custody issues are going to be addressed. Uh, fortunately, one of the things that we were really concerned about was that FDA would come down with this notion that if uh, uh, the uh, uh, the product is two degrees hot, it must be destroyed, uh, which would create claims problems that would take away the right to mitigate. The rules didn't come down that harshly. Uh, for years, uh, a lot of the retail grocery houses particularly have been taking this attitude that if the seal is broken, the load must be destroyed. We were concerned that there was going to be a greater foundation for that position in the act, and, and it's not there. Uh, so where I see it mainly is on the cargo claim side. Uh, you know, I've, I've got cases running now where uh, the back doors of the of the reefer are thrown open and you're told to pull to dock 8, which is a non-refrigerated dock, and they start unloading you two hours late, and so the back two skids are already warm, and now they say take the rest of it and get out of my face. And we were concerned that uh, uh, FDA would be so concerned about contamination that they would put the refrigeration requirements in. They're not there. Uh, one thing I can do individually, Rico, for the people that are on the line or I can, or I can forward to you uh, for, for posting, uh, a fairly good... Uh, analysis of the uh, of the uh, uh, Food Modernization Safety Act. In fact, uh, I'll tell you what I, I will try to do. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a website. It's called transcomply.com. That's T-R-E-N-S-C-O-M-P-L-Y.com. And I, I will see uh, within 24 hours that uh, we have a pretty good summary of the, uh, of the Food Safety Modernization Act posted. The caller or anybody else that wants to uh, get a, a primer on it can uh, can can review. It's it's not very lengthy, but uh, it will affect you uh, in terms of the phase in. And I don't know uh, whether it's you know at the three or four truck level, but uh, some of the uh, some of the requirements that were imposed on carriers, uh, there is a small carrier exemption for, which is going to be helpful. Okay, we got a link of that transcomply.com up on the uh, Rates and Lanes Facebook page for everybody that wants to maybe go there and check that out. Also, we have okay. A link I'll, of I'll be the... sure. I'll be sure. There may be something on it now, but I'll be sure that there is a a decent article uh, posted on it. Uh, by this time tomorrow. 
We have, and we also have uh, Hank Seaton's website posted up on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page for those of you that may need have some uh, other uh, issues and things that you may have going on. Uh, definitely, please, uh, if you got some things going on in your in your professional life and you need help with, you know, um, and Hank has not asked me to do this. It's just something that I think is right. You know, Hank takes time out of his schedule to come on here once a month and, and, and share and impart knowledge with us. So, you know, if, if there's ever an opportunity for us to ever give back or, or to use Hank's services, by all means, uh, you know, I encourage everybody that's listening, you know, you and I've done this personally myself, Hank, and those guys helped me out with an issue when I had a driver up in Baltimore. They uh, they weren't able to, to do it themselves, but they formed it out. They told me who to go to, and they pointed me in the right direction and got absolute great results out of the person that they uh, referred me to. So, you know, that's uh, an unsolicited uh, endorsement coming from myself, but uh, well, we're getting you, really Rico. close to. Yeah, you know, you're getting close to close. There's one thing I'd like to get anybody that's on the line to to take down this email address. It's called survey s u r v e y dot trans advice t r a n s v i t r a n s a d v i s c. Yeah, trans. Do that one more time, Hank. T R A N S A D V I S E dot com. Now, what that is is that is basically a survey. It won't take long for you to uh, you to complete. Uh, the use of this is going to be in this safety fitness determination, and the questions you're going to be asked uh, relate to whether or not uh, when you're stopped for an inspection. Uh, you feel as though all of your good inspections are turned into the FMCSA. Uh, the reason for this is their mechanism is measuring you based upon the accumulated points divided by the number of inspections. And what we're trying to probe is the extent to which uh, uh, small carriers in particular feel as though they'll do a walk around if they don't see anything that's wrong with your equipment. They say you're you're free to go, but they don't write you up as having a clean inspection. Uh, and you know, I'm not trying to color your view of that. I'm just saying that uh, we've got this survey out to uh, uh, thousands of uh, of carriers, and you know, when you send it out to thousands of people, you may be lucky to get hundreds of responses. But in any way, we're 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 going to use the data uh, kind of as a polling mechanism. Uh, particularly for small carriers, to determine if they believe that they are fairly uh, being reported based on the scales. Some people report that they <coughs> they've actually been told you don't write no good reports. Other people, in particular areas, feel as though the the scale houses do a good job of reporting the good, the bad, and the ugly. I ju we just like to have your experiences. <coughs> your name is not going to be reported. You're not going to get visited by anybody. It's just uh, uh, we just needed a candid input. So if a few of you have, have enjoyed uh, uh, the podcast, it will take time to fill that out. It will be very helpful. And it's uh, designed so it can be filled out by the carrier owners and owner operators and drivers as well. All right, we got one more question in before we try to close out real quickly. Let's see if we can grab Tom real quick. Tom, you're up live with Rico and Hank. How can we help? 
Hey, yeah, this is yeah, this is Tom. Hey, Rico. Hey, my question is really very short. I negotiated a rate with a major carrier. The rate I negotiated was say was fourteen twenty five. They sent me a rate con saying twenty two fifty. I signed it, sent it back. Then they turned around, sent me all the information for the pickup and so forth. Uh, am I going to be on the hook for later? I signed for quick pay immediately too. Um, am I going to be on the hook for this, or because we got a rate kind of said twenty two fifty? Is that what the amount they owe me? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, uh, when you uh, do negotiations with somebody and the negotiations are incorporated into writing, and <coughs> what comes across the transom isn't what you agreed to, you got to call them back or mark through the twenty two fifty and put the fourteen fifty and send it back to them and call them up and say, "Hey, Pete, we agreed to the." to the greater amount, I can't do 2250 because, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's a rule of construction that regardless of what kind of dickering you may have, uh, when there is a, a, a signed written agreement, it's what's called the doctrine of merger. Whatever uh, you've uh, otherwise talked about is on the, is on the four paces, uh, the four corners of that piece of paper. So you know, I mean, I think, I think, I think, you know, uh, if you if you are doing business with a big asset based carrier, uh, you know, the best you can oh, no, do is I'm, probably. Oh no, I I am the carrier. Well, I well, am the I'm, carrier. I thought, That's is, the, is the broker of an asset based broker. I mean, you know, depending no, the, on who the, the guy is. The, the broker is TQL. Oh, Jay, you got I'm it. A, you, and you're, I'm a you're, single you're truck operation. Yeah, you're you're. And you, I just, you, whatever you. Let me tell you, whatever you sign with TQL is what they'll hold you to. Okay, so that means that they owe me the twenty two fifty then, correct? Minus yep. the quick pay fee. That's yep. all I wanted to make sure of. I want to make because that's coming due here uh, tomorrow, and I want to make sure they don't try to come back on me on it. Well, why would they come back on you unless they claim unless they had a claim? I mean, well, they already have a claim on it. They sent, they sent him, they sent him a rate negotiation. They sent him a rate confirmation greater than the rate that they negotiated for. They, they, he, he negotiated for fourteen, for fourteen and a quarter, one thousand four hundred twenty-five dollars, and they sent him a rate confirmation for twenty, for two thousand two hundred and some odd dollars. Is that correct? That is correct. Oh, they sent you a so rate confirmation for a greater amount. Oh, well, that is, then, yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah. And, and, so it's and called take when, the money and run. Yeah, they and and you basically did you sign that load confirmation and send it back to them? Yes, I sent the load confirmation back to them. When I sent the well, load confirmation you know, back, the lo- then they turn around and send you the driver instructions. Yeah, basically, basically the the, the law goes goes both ways. If they offered you twenty two fifty, uh, you know, oh, happy day. Now you know, obviously. Uh, the money's in their pocket. They may catch, they they may catch the mistake and say, well, you know, it was a clerical error, yada yada yada, and uh, you know, try to try to break the extra seven hundred dollars out of you. But uh, you got you got in writing, uh, you know, what you agreed to accept it for, and uh, uh, you know, uh, legally, I think you got a pretty, I think you got a, I think you got a pretty good argument. Uh, okay. Yeah. According I, I, to the customer, that's how much want to negotiate with you, but uh, you know, like I said, the doctrine of merger would say 
Uh, that's why you got a written load confirmation. Okay. That's what now, that's you may have. You may have somebody. You know, they have agents, and you may have somebody called Dave. It gives you a call on the phone and says, "Now look, man, uh, I made a clerical mistake here. My bosses are jumping all over me. Uh, you know, would you accept the original amount? I shouldn't have sent it in for that amount. But uh, you know, when they sent you twenty two fifty and you signed off on it, whatever, and sent it back, then you're ahead of the game. I'm sorry, I right, haven't ever heard those kind of mistakes falling in favor of the carrier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I haven't either after I don't know how many yeah, that's over 20 years out here. Usually goes. You know, you, uh, <laughs> you're halfway in route, and then you get the load confirmation sheet, and you're a few hundred dollars short. Yep. All right, well, that's all I needed to find out. I just wanted to make sure on that, find if I had, you know, what the legal grounds were. Sure. All right, well, I appreciate, I appreciate it, Tom. Hank, you got time for one more? Sure. All right, let's go to Steve. Uh, Steve has a question about rate confirmations. All right, Steve, you up on the board with uh, with with Hank and Rico. How can we help? Well, I wanted to make a comment on that last call there. You know, he agreed. He called. He made an agreement with a man, and then the the guy, as much as I just like total quality, uh, an agreement is an agreement. It's like a handshake. When you agree to do something. That means you should stick to it. If if how would you like to hire that guy to mow your lawn and you agree on twenty dollars a week if you sign the contract and your wife put down two hundred and he's gonna stiff you? That's not right at all. I mean, whatever happened to pride, decency, and honesty out here? You know, when a guy makes a makes a agreement, he should stick to it. Hire hell water. You know, it's it's just the way it is. It's got lost through all these negotiations, and you got to have good faith and good dealings and a right decency about yourself. You know, I call the guy. Listen, I I, I, I admire I, I your I, honesty. I, I agree. I, I I agree with you in terms of uh, of, of of a man standing to his uh, uh, his agreement. All I can tell you is. If I go, if I if I negotiate to buy a house for one fee, and the contract comes in, and they say, "All right, you need to go to closing, and here's here's the paperwork. Uh, whatever I sign is the deal I have to stick with." And uh, you know, uh, I can't I can't fault you in terms of uh, of, of the virtue of sticking to it. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, I think that. Uh, uh, probably the the best issue when that load confirmation came over would be to call them back and say, "Hey, buddy, I'm happy to see this is 2250, but uh, uh, I, I hope this is not some kind of clerical mistake." You know, it, it's uh, uh, I, I think probably you know that uh, the best cause of action would have been before you signed it to call back and verify that yes, it is. 2250 or whatever it is, but uh, I'm just saying that legally, uh, uh, with load confirmation sheets and the rest of this stuff, uh, uh, both parties are bound by what they sign. Right, and I the meeting of the, I, the meeting I, I, of the I, mind I, is when is when the contract is inked. And I, I agree with the caller. You know, some you know, uh, yeah, integrity sometimes is all is, is the very last thing that you may have, and and if you want to. 
uh, represent yourself as having a, a, a good business and, and having integrity about yourself. And, you know, a stand-up person, you know, normally will we'll call back and, and make that thing right. So I definitely kudos out to you, uh, uh, Steve, for bringing that, you know, for, you know, standing up on that high moral ground. And that's one of those things that, you know, you can't legislate legislate morality, you know. Uh, that's something that each, each person has to make an individual call about. And uh, with that said, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to just about wrap us up for the night. Uh, we want to thank everyone, listeners, callers, that helped participate in to, tonight's program. Of course, uh, shouts out to Mr. Hank Seaton for taking time out of his busy schedule for coming on board and, and fielding these questions because this thing is totally unscripted. Hank doesn't know exactly what he may be facing from week to week uh, when he comes on here, but, you know, he takes time out of his schedule and, and he knocks them out of the park every time. Uh, and we also want to give shout-out and thanks to Kevin and Lisa Rutherford, the entire Less Truck team. Just a reminder, CMC Live 2016 is fastly approaching the dates are May 16th through the 20th. It's going to be up in Council Bluffs, Iowa this year. For anyone that is looking to uh, take advantage of the CMC, I think that they're still doing registration. You can go to the website, letstruck.com, and you can sign up for uh, get, up, get Up and On Board. They have payment plans for the CMC. So if you guys want to take advantage of that, of course, that's always there for you. This has been the Rates and Lanes podcast with Rico Muhammad. With special guest, Mr. Hank Seaton, want to thank you, everyone, again, for calling in and participating. God bless you. Good night. Thanks again, uh, Hank. Sure. Let's let's talk sometime in the next couple of days, Rico. Uh, that list, the sure. deadbeat list you got, where do you get that? Uh, actually, uh, Bill Bixby, uh, the, the attorney, I got a list from him, and I also have a list from uh, Low Board that I use. Who, who's who's Bill Bixby with? I don't know. I don't recognize the name. Um, I have to go back and dig that email up, Hank. Um, I can forward it to you. Okay, please do. That would be great. I, yeah, I still got it. I, I can forward it over to you. All right. Thanks, my friend. We'll Enjoy do. It Thank tonight. you. Talk to you later. Hey, thanks. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.